Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Wednesday, December the 11th. And thank you so much for tuning in. On today's show, I'll be digging a little bit into the Kamloops transportation plan, uh, downtown transportation plan, that is. Yesterday, it was presented to council and was voted against by a 5-4 vote. So I'll be talking with the city's engineering department about what's next for that plan uh, following yesterday's decision. Uh, Canada is also set to host its first ever body farm. A group of scientists will be opening up a research center in Quebec next year that will examine a number of things, including how, how bodies decompose in the Canadian climate. So I'll be speaking about that in about 10 minutes' time. But to begin today's show, I am taking a look back at yesterday's council meeting, and I'm joined now by Kamloops Mayor, Mr. Ken Christian. Ken, how are you doing today? I'm very good, Jeff. All right, so normally I get to uh, talk to you in studio, but that's not today, the case here today. You're off to a salmon arm, from what I understand. So just, uh, you know, how, how's, the, how's the trip so far? How's the roads treating you? Yeah, I, I can give you a roads update. It's it's bare and dry from Kamloops to Chase, and uh, bare and wet from uh, Chase uh, east towards Salmon Arm. All right. Well, uh, hopefully you're driving safe out there. It sounds like the roads aren't too too bad for you right now, so that's good to hear. Um, all right, Ken. So let's just take a quick look at uh, some business here. So you were one of uh, two votes against the uh, revitalization tax exemption bylaw amendment yesterday uh, at a council meeting. So that looked to include all new commercial businesses uh, in this tax exemption. Um, so you were, like I said, one of two votes against it. Why? Why do you believe it would be a bad idea? I guess for development in the downtown, or do you believe it would be a bad development or um, movement to to see improved development? Like, what about this tax exemption? Um, were you not in favor? Yeah, so, you know, let's uh, paint the picture. We already have a uh, downtown revitalization tax exemption program, uh, and we've had it for some time, and uh, it's been successful. And uh, I think I used the example yesterday of the uh, Stony Flats development uh, at uh, the 5th or 6th and uh, Victoria, where we're uh, really uh, using that uh, tax exemption for good value. It's the building right behind the NL building. putting 107 units of residential for seniors right downtown is really good and I think the uh, impetus that uh, council gave to that project really is going to pay great dividends in the long run. The issue uh, yesterday was about adding uh, commercial to Uh, the list of those things that get uh, tax exemptions. And we're talking about millions of dollars Mm -hmm. here. So, you know, it's it's important. And uh, from my perspective, uh, I think there should be less intrusion in business from government. And I don't want to see uh, the city being the only decision that developers will need to push projects forward. If the taxes are the only thing between success and failure, then I think they really need to sharpen up their pencils on some of these projects. Uh, So from that perspective, we already have a a, a glut of commercial space uh, downtown, and uh, the uh, notion that we are going to provide tax exemption 
for uh, a lot of developers really comes at the cost of residential taxpayers. It's just like any of these incentives. It, it sounds nice, especially at Christmas, to offer free bus rides or offer free parking or offer free parkade use, but at the end of the day, it's the taxpayer that's going to have to come up with the money that we are avoiding uh, collecting. And so that, to me, is just a, a, an example where we don't need to do that. Uh, yes, there are similar bylaws in some other cities, and they're there for very specific purposes in those cities and uh, you know I've been up to Prince George I've been over to Nanaimo I understand why they need to do what they need to do but Kamloops uh, is unique in the sense that we have three downtown areas essentially and uh, quite frankly we're doing quite well on the Tronkeel corridor we have vacant space in the downtown area and we're doing very well up in the TRU precinct so you know, it's not something that I saw as being a necessity right now. But nonetheless, it was the will of council to proceed, and so we will proceed. And uh, that's, uh, you know, the uh, way forward. We'll expect to see a bylaw from uh, our uh, development and engineering and our finance department early in the new year. So just uh, to kind of break down that, that response there, I mean, from what I understand, you basically feel like, uh, you know, a lot of other communities offer this tax exemption bylaw, uh, but Kamloops uh, isn't or you don't believe Kamloops needs to do that in order to attract new business. That's something that other communities can do, but it shouldn't be the, the make or break, I guess, when, when businesses are considering relocation. Yeah, and remember that we already have a tax exemption bylaw right. that covers a pretty vast array. So if you're building a building now uh, and you have residential in it, that portion of the building is going to be exempted. And so that's really what we need to push in downtown. And I'm really uh, supportive of getting more people living in the downtown core, shopping in the downtown core, and making downtown alive. Okay, well, that actually goes nicely then into uh, a bit of a different topic here. So the downtown transportation choices strategy, um, this was a pretty extensive conversation, went on for an hour and a half or so from from what I was able to see, and uh, it did end up uh, not passing by a 5-4 vote and has been referred back to staff. Uh, you were one of those five that voted against the plan. So just, um, you know, what, what did you not like about the plan as it was presented yesterday? Well, I think... First of all, just to capture the discussion, there was some on council that felt it didn't go far enough in terms of the uh, objective of a 10% reduction in single car trips. Uh, and then there was some that felt it went too far in terms of really alienating those people that live in the suburbs and uh, those people that need to rely on transportation, uh, and, and in particular, single vehicle transportation. So uh, one of the things that uh, I found unfortunate about the consultation was that it was largely in and around the farmers market which you know we, we tend to go there a lot because it's easy uh, but when you go there you have to realize that you're getting uh, people there that are likely going to support a lot of alternative transportation modalities and I don't think that that would be representative of those people that might be from Raleigh or those people that might be from Barnardville or in fact those people that might shop at Costco you have a very different kind of opinion about the need for transportation choices from them and it's it's a plan for the entire town although it's focused on downtown 
and so I think that we needed to have a broader uh, consultation and they tried to use the hockey game and it's a nice idea there's lots of people there that but they're primarily there to watch hockey not consult about transportation so you know there was a, a feeling that the the uh, uh, consultation needed to be wider the other thing that kind of was a, a, a bit of a cross and that was the notion that the consultant had that you would create congestion in order to make the alternative seem better and you know I think everyone on council wants to see more ridership on buses we want to see more active transportation we want to see more walking we want to see a healthier population there's no question about that but we don't want to make it punitive for those people that drive uh, and, and really rule them and their needs out so I think uh, that was the sentiment of the result that was a 5-4 vote that will go back to the development sustainability committee uh, in the new year and they will look at uh, picking up uh, you know some of the pieces of that report there was uh, 16 objectives there and I think uh, certainly the majority of council would support the majority of those so we need to look at that there was uh, the hiring of a transportation choices coordinator and uh, you know staff have that FTE it's not a budget item so uh, we need to talk about how that can come into play uh, running out of time here, Ken, so I'll get you out of here on this. I understand there was a, an opportunity to ask some questions as well from the uh, Canada Energy Regulator or the uh, National Energy Board, I guess, as it used to be known. Um, you know, you, you asked the question about uh, oversight uh, on the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project through Kamloops. Um, I guess just, just what was the nature of that conversation and were you happy with the response that you got? Yeah, I was. I mean, uh, the, the Canada Energy Regulator is the new name, as you point out, for uh, the National Energy Board. And, and uh, you know, I just wanted to make sure that the mandate hadn't changed with the name. And I wanted to make sure that there was going to be uh, rigorous oversight on this project as it moves through Kamloops, starting probably in the second quarter of 2020. And uh, there was a lot of assurances that uh, some of the sensitive areas where we have had uh, great conversations with Kinder Morgan and now TMX uh, over the places like the Lac du Bois grasslands, the Thompson River crossing, Kennecartwright Park. I wanted to make sure that not only is the company going to be there and have a rigorous construction program, but the regulator will be watching them on behalf of both the environment and the citizens of Kamloops. Well, Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for taking the time. I always enjoy talking to you uh, on our post-council sessions, and today was no different, uh, even though you are uh, speaking from your truck there on the way to Salmon Arm. But I appreciate you still taking the time, and uh, drive safe the rest of the way, okay? Thank you, Jeff. All right. Thanks so much. That was Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian. Well, coming up after the break, I'm going to be talking a little bit about Canada's first ever body farm. It's going to be opening up next year in Quebec. What's it all about? We'll be talking about that after this. You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com.
Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Wednesday, December 11th. Have you ever wondered how bodies decompose in the Canadian climate and how it might differ from elsewhere in the world? Have you ever wanted to maybe donate your body to such research? Well, it looks like that opportunity is going to be available soon uh, as the first ever body farm is said to be established in Canada and it will be done so in Quebec beginning next year. I am joined on the phone now by the director of the site for research and thanatology, Shari Forbes. Shari, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks a lot. So let me just start, I guess, by asking how this kind of came to fruition here. How, how did you guys go about deciding that Canada was a good place to establish a body farm? And I guess what is it that you're hoping to learn about uh, setting one up here in Quebec? Well, we've known for quite some time that we needed such a facility in Canada. Uh, there's many of these facilities in the USA, but of course their climate is extremely different to ours. And so although we all visit those facilities in the US, we really can't extrapolate their data to police investigations in Canada because we have a lot of snow, we have sub-zero temperatures, and we've realised we don't know what happens to a body when it's in that environment. So I guess what we're really hoping to understand is what those uh, cold climate temperatures do to the body during winter and then how that changes the rate of decomposition, which is really important for estimating time since death and assisting the police. So is that the main purpose, I guess, of this kind of research is to assist with police investigations? Absolutely. We, um, all of our research is dictated by what the police need. So uh, in addition to trying to improve how we estimate time since death, we're also trying to enhance our methods for searching for victims, recovering their remains more rapidly, and ultimately identifying the victim because unfortunately we have a large missing persons database and it's not always easy, especially if we don't have fingerprints, DNA or teeth, to actually determine who the victim might be so that we can return their remains to the family. So how do you go about conducting some of this research? I don't know if I want to get too morbid here, but I guess it's kind of <laughs> impossible given the subject. So what, what kind of work do you guys do? Like, uh, um, you know, when you get a, a body, what, what happens to it? So we place them in different scenarios, again, based on the advice from police. So we may have uh, bodies on the surface which would mimic a missing person, perhaps a hiker who's gone missing and has subsequently perished, or unfortunately a victim of homicide whose remains have been dumped in a, in a remote location. Uh, we might also mimic a shallow grave or uh, placement in a vehicle. These are just some of the scenarios that the police advise us that they need the information about how bodies decompose in these different contexts. So when you're looking for, for subjects or whatever the term might be for bodies to use uh, on this farm and to, to, to study some of this uh, work that you're trying to do, I, what, what is your response rate like? I mean, do you guys, do you see a lot of people wanting to donate their bodies to this type of research or, or is it uh, you know, difficult for you to, to find some subjects to actually uh, study? Surprisingly, we've had a really positive response. Uh, it is an unusual uh, way to donate your body, but certainly we do insist that all of our donors provide informed consent during life and that they have a really good understanding of what they're 
contributing to because it is different to donating your body to medical science. Uh, but so far since we've made the announcement last year, we've had a huge um, uptake of, of people wanting to donate from Vancouver right through to St John's and in fact at the moment our biggest limitation is we can only accept donors in Quebec but given we're the only facility in Canada we are hoping to change that because we've just got so much interest whether it's for altruistic reasons or more environmental uh, there are a lot of people who see this as a really natural way of returning to the earth. So you have gotten like you said some interest from from out here in BC as well so um, I mean you, you said you can't accept their donation yet at this point in time but I mean that that could potentially change over over the course of time as things kind of progress and you guys are open for for a little bit longer so um, I guess if people are interested I mean can they at least put out an expression of interest for for people here in Kamloops if they for whatever reason want to donate their body to this type of research could I contact you and say you know um, I know you can't necessarily accept it yet but I'm not planning to die tomorrow anyway so um, maybe just put me on a list Definitely, definitely. And that's what we tell everyone. So always to contact me. We have a database of individuals that are residing outside of Quebec. Uh, we keep them on, on that file and we certainly will contact them when uh, we are able to accept donors from outside of Quebec. But more importantly, we hope we will actually have more facilities across Canada. So there may in the future be one in Vancouver or, or in BC that would be much closer. And that's why we encourage all of our donors to get in touch because we we hope there is an opportunity at some point. Yeah, and I guess too when you're talking about uh, opening up one here on the west coast, I mean it's still potentially quite a bit different when we're talking about uh, the differences in climate here than it would be in Quebec as well. So uh, might be some different uh, elements to study too. Absolutely, and that's why we need it because even our data in Quebec is not applicable to the police in, in BC and so we do have to have these facilities in the local climate so that we can help uh, for the, the people who do go missing in those different provinces. Can you describe to me a little bit about what a body farm actually looks like? I'm just basically picturing like a, a fenced-in forest, but I'm wondering if there's more to it than that. No, that's actually pretty accurate. It is a high security uh, fence with CCTV cameras. Obviously, our priority is maintaining the privacy of our donors, respecting their dignity at all times. Uh, so only authorised individuals can access the facility. But otherwise, once you get past that high security fence, it is intended to look natural. Uh, our facility in Quebec is a maple forest and, and some of the other facilities are open grassland or my facility in Australia was the eucalyptus woodland. But really, we're trying to mimic the environment where the police have the most challenges in terms of locating victim remains. Uh, I guess, uh, yeah, quite a bit different when you're talking about one in Australia compared to one up here in Canada. I'm, uh, a lot of, not only are the elements different, but there's a lot of different animals and stuff you have to deal with too. So uh, quite a bit of a change for you, I suppose. Absolutely, and it was the reason I, I was interested in opening this facility in Canada, having done it in Australia um, and understanding what happens to a body after death in Australia. I realised there's so many environments that we still just, just don't understand that information and, and Canada was probably the opposite and most extreme climate to Australia, uh, so there's a lot that we can still learn here. And uh, just for information here before I let you go, when do you guys officially open up? Uh, officially, well, we hope our first donors will arrive in spring 2020.
All right, so spring, uh, that's that's coming up pretty soon. So uh, four months or so from now, you'll uh, be starting to, to, to do some research on some, some bodies and figure out how they react here in Canada. So be interested to, to see what uh, kind of work you guys dig up. Is there is there any of the work that you do that's made public, or is it strictly go to police? Uh, no, we, we always promote our research. Uh, we're very proud of what we do, but we're particularly proud of our donors and we like people to know what they're contributing to. So we give a lot of uh, presentations, media interviews, and very happy to talk to anyone who's interested about hearing what we do. Perfect. Well, uh, maybe in a, a year or less, we can uh, reconvene on this conversation and, and see how things are going, because I, I think it's pretty interesting and I'm curious to see how things are different here compared to elsewhere. So thanks so much for doing this, Shari. I really appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. That would be great. All right. I'll keep it in mind. That was Sherry Forbes, the director of the Secure Site for Research in Thanatology. That will be opening up in the spring in Quebec. Uh, coming up next, I will uh, be talking a little bit more about the downtown transportation plan here in Kamloops. We talked about it a little bit with Mayor Ken Christian, but I'll be digging into it more so with the city's engineering director after this. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome back into the Jeff Andrea Show here on Wednesday, December 11th. And thank you so much for tuning in. Kamloops City Councilors have narrowly voted to not accept a plan on downtown transportation choices as it stands. And they instead voted to refer the plan back to the Development and Sustainability Committee. It was voted uh, 5 to 4, not in favor of the plan. So a close vote, but uh, a vote down nonetheless. And that will now go back to city staff uh, for more work. Um, so what does that mean for this plan moving forward? Well, I'm joined on the phone now by Kamloops Engineering Manager, Devin Makowski. Devin, thanks so much for coming on today. No trouble at all. So, uh, I mean, just kind of give me a general sense here of yesterday's discussion. I mean, it was uh, an hour and a half discussion from what I understand. Uh, so quite, quite a lengthy period of time that was spent uh, going back and forth on this downtown transportation choices strategy. Can you give me maybe a little bit of a summary of some of the conversation that was had? Obviously, uh, you know, a very close vote, but council a, a little bit disappointed, I guess, in some of the work that was done by the consulting group and, and uh, city staff uh, that put this plan together. So just what was the general sense of that conversation from your perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as you mentioned, yesterday was a fairly long committee of the whole meeting, at, at least the part that was related to the downtown transportation choices strategy. Um, what we kind of went through is just revisited with council the process that was in place to put the plan together, how we went out to the community in, in January when we started the process, received feedback, general feedback of what, what the community would like to see in the plan. And then once we had put it together, then going back out to the community, starting in August after that committee of the whole meeting with council and getting feedback on the initiatives that, that were highlighted by that plan, that the action items that were being recommended the city go forward with. As you said, council did vote it down um, in a close vote, but they've asked it to come back to the Development and Sustainability Committee. Uh, it's a committee that has a couple of councillors on it, so we can kind of dig into, okay, what are what are the exact pieces that, that um, some of the councillors weren't in alignment with and, and caused them to, to vote it down? Because uh, I think there's still, there's still a bit of will, or there's, there seems to be will from council to go forward with, with some kind of transportation man demand management strategy. Um, just this didn't seem to be exactly what they're looking for. 
Yeah, obviously there's a, the, the, a big point of this plan was to try to get fewer people taking their cars downtown and get more people using either active transportation or taking the bus or things along those lines. Um, and I guess there was some concern about maybe um, overstepping the bounds in terms of the goals of how many cars, uh, you know, to, to remove from the downtown. And I guess there were some councils that felt the exact opposite of that. So, I mean, when, when looking at this, is it difficult to sort of put a target on, on the number of vehicles uh, to try and reduce the amount of cars that are heading downtown? Is that a difficult thing to, to work through and find out kind of what is the ideal target? Mm -hmm. uh, it is difficult to pin down a target because um, just as it was seen in the discussion by council yesterday, um, some of council are pushing for higher, more ambitious targets and then some of council um, see it differently and, and that's what what we see when we go to the community as well is like um, everybody has has a different opinion, different idea what works for them. So it's trying to find that happy middle ground. Um, that's what I guess we have to work towards. Yeah, and, and I understand there was also a little bit of a disappointment from some people when it came to just uh, who was consulted. So I guess what, what's next here when, when moving forward? I was talking to, to the mayor here earlier today, and one of his concerns was the fact that uh, the farmer's market seemed to be one of the main points of where consultation was taking place, and that might not necessarily be a good representation of the general population. So uh, I assume people are going to have another opportunity to uh, have their say on this plan. So uh, what, what is next for, for administration here? What's next for city staff in order to collect some data, collect some feedback, and, and revisit this plan and rejig it before it's presented again? Yeah. So what's next for city staff really is to wait for that next development sustainable committee, development sustainability committee meeting. Um, that's where we're going to be sitting down with, with a few of the counselors and working through um, what is the direction we need to move this, how do we need to to edit it or change it or what additional engagement with the community we need to do, what are the additional steps so that we can get a plan that, that the majority of council will support. And, and when we're looking at a plan like this, uh, I mean, there's a lot of other master plans that seem to be going on. I know there was talk about a downtown parking strategy. Uh, there's talk about, a, you know, a community master plan. Uh, how do all of these kind of intertwine? Because, I mean, a lot of them seem like they might cover or at least overlap in some way, shape, or form, even if it is just on the, on the smallest of points. But there is still a little bit of overlap that might occur uh, when talking about a number of these different strategies and plans. And, um, you know, just how difficult is it from an administrative point of view to to make sure all these plans are working together because the you know you got the development and sustainability committee working on this downtown transportation choices strategy but they might not necessarily be uh, you know on heading up uh, you know one of these other strategies so uh, how difficult is that communication when we're talking about plans that might have some overlap and um, you know how 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 much are, are they working uh, hand in hand how much are these committees uh, working together on these plans to make sure that they are um, you know in, in coordination with each other mm -hmm. Uh, there's definitely a lot of plans out there, and, and that is one of the challenges to make sure that they all align. So the overarching and the big plan that the city completed was was CAM plan or the OCP. So that's the highest level policy level community growth document there is. And then from there, that sets high level direction. And we, each subsequent plan kind of narrows it down into specific topics. So a follow-up plan to that one was the transportation master plan, which we made sure aligned with CAM plan. Um, and that's looking at transportation in general, just the transportation topic about growing a community. And now this plan, the downtown transportation choices, which was around transportation demand management, is kind of that next 
layer of, of detail. So it's kind of always following the higher policy documents and working its way down. So, so while the transportation choices was on the transportation side, there's also a downtown plan where planning level document on how the downtown specifically is going to grow. That's going on at the same time that we're working on the how's transportation in the downtown going to work. So we're actually doing a really good job as far as coordinating those groups. I've the group that's been working on transportation choices has met regularly with the group that's doing the community planning for the downtown, as well as meets regularly with the group that's currently drafting our community climate action plan. So all the plans are kind of being done at the same time, and there's a lot of coordination that happens back and forth. Um, but I think the challenge is more is once we've had that policy direction and you're getting more into the details, it's harder and harder to find something where everyone has common ground. Yeah, for sure. Uh, because you're in the details. Um, I'll get you out of here on this, Devin. So when we're talking about all these plans and uh, a lot of them have similar objectives or, or at least points, parts of them that might have a similar objective. Um, and when we're looking at something like a downtown choices, uh, transportation choices strategy, which looked at things like adding, uh, you know, bike racks and things along those lines, um, with it being voted against, I I mean, does it stop any of that kind of work that might be taking place? Or, or is there still opportunities, I guess, for some things that, uh, you know, might be part of this plan to still move forward because they're still good ideas, even though they're, um, you know, part of a plan that's maybe still in the works? I mean, how, how does that work? Does it, does it halt development when we're talking about downtown transportation? Or, or what happens now uh, when we're looking at the plan that's still going through the administrative process? But is there still opportunities for some work to move forward? Yeah, it, it doesn't halt any of the initiatives that are already underway. So, you know, we do continued expansion to transit. We're doing improvements, Victoria Street West improvements. We're doing other small improvements to the walkability of the downtown. Um, none of that's going to stop. Um, we're just not going to start any new initiatives at this point until we've worked it through the committee to find out um, how does the demand management side of things go forward? How does council see that going forward? Right on. Well, Devin, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. I, I really appreciate it. It's, a, it's an interesting plan, and uh, yeah, one we'll be paying attention to for sure. So we'll see uh, what the next steps are before this is presented back to council again, and uh, maybe we'll, we'll chat after it uh, hopefully gets voted, to, uh, voted for approval, I guess, by council next time around, and then we can chat further at that point. But thanks so much for uh, taking the time to look back on yesterday and, and see what the plan is here moving forward. So thanks so much, Devin. Yeah, that sounds very good. Thank you very much. Right on. Have a good rest of your day. That was Devin Matkowski, Kamloops Engineering uh, Manager. So, uh, yeah, there you go. The Downtown Transportation Choices Strategy uh, voted down by council yesterday by a narrow 5-4 to four vote. So, clearly, there is some appetite to move forward, but also some changes that council want to see made to that plan here uh, the next time it comes back. So, a few alterations I'm sure will be made. Like Devin had said, there are some councillors on this uh, Development and Sustainability Committee, so they'll be able to provide some impact input on uh, how they would like to see the, 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 the changes, what kind of changes they might like to see. Um, speaking about what happened at council yesterday, uh, Bill Sarai outlined one concern brought up by several councillors that not a large enough demographic gave input. So here's his comment from yesterday. I have trouble when we start doing things on a small voice of people that affect a larger group of people. If you want to do it right, then we should have everybody on board and get everybody's input. When I see in a report that you're telling people people to shop online and plan your whole day first thing in the morning and do everything you can in one trip. It's not feasible to a lot of people. 
Yeah, so he had con some concerns about, uh, you know, just the, the lack of demographic or, or a narrow demographic that was consulted on this issue. And like I had talked to uh, Mayor Ken Christian earlier in the show, and he mentioned some concerns about where some of this consultation was actually taking place. He said a lot of it seemed to have been done at the farmer's market, and that's not necessarily a good snapshot of what the entire city might be looking at or might be in favor of. People who use the farmer's market might already be biking there or are spending a lot of time downtown, but how do we encourage those people who maybe live on the outer skirts of the city to actually, uh, uh, you know, visit the downtown core more often and, and take the bus or whatever the case may be. So, uh, yeah, definitely going to be interesting to see how this kind of changes moving moves moving forward, what kind of changes we see as a result, and, um, you know, what what, what uh, consultation is going to be done here in this next round uh, as, uh, as, as council looks to make some changes to this plan before looking at it one more time. Uh, Councillor Kathy Sinclair was in favor of this transportation uh, choices strategy. She was one of the four who voted for it to move forward, and she said it primarily would have encouraged people who were already considering other transportation methods to continue doing so. So here's her comment from yesterday as well. Something like this, to me, is a win for everyone. It's people taking up fewer parking spaces so that those people who do need to drive will find parking spots. It's reducing air quality and GHGs. We know that there are people who do need to drive in from outlying communities, and I don't think this study is meant to condemn those people whatsoever. So there you go. There's obviously some pros and some cons, and, and they'll try to uh, put a few more pros into this plan before moving ahead with it in the future. So uh, if you want to have your say on this downtown transportation choices strategy and see what would actually make you visit downtown more often, we'll make sure you uh, follow the news, and we'll, we'll let you know when those next round of consultations will be happening, and then you can have your say on this downtown transportation choices strategy. Coming up next, I'll be taking uh, a quick look at last night's Blazers action, and then it's time for a new edition of That's Whack Wednesday. So stick around. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Hello and welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show. Today is Wednesday, December 11th, and it is another Blazers game day. A bit of a disappointing one last night with the lowly Moose Jaw Warriors scoring in overtime for the 5-4 victory. The Warriors had lost nine in a row prior to last night's contest, so it looks like the Blazers fell victim to a bit of a trap game there last night. Here is John Keane summing up what took place. As Tracy with a screen goaltender tied the game at 12.58, so 7.02 to go. We were in a bit of a track meet finish the rest of the way, tied 4-4. And Blazers late in the third period. Quinn Schmeeman takes a penalty way behind the play, trying to get it Owen Hardy. And that was probably a mistake. I know he was in there looking for his teammate. Uh, Blazer situation will have to play that a lot better as uh, Brandwood was hit hard by Hardy. Schmeeman goes and takes the penalty. While the Blazers were on a rush up the ice, they have to kill off 52 seconds to get to overtime, but as overtime gets to four on three, that penalty carried over, and Braden Tracy scored on the very first shot in overtime. So the Warriors had six shots in the third, scored on one. They had one shot in overtime and scored on that. 
Tracy gets both, and the Warriors win it 5-4 tonight. A bit of a shocking result here on the road after building a 4-0 lead. So the Blazers will look to rebound tonight as they are in Regina to take on the Pats. The Blazers have not lost in regulation in their last six games, but they have only three wins to show for it. And the Kelowna Rockets, meanwhile, have not lost in their last nine and have eight wins over that span. The Rockets are now just two points behind the Blazers for top spot in the BC Division with two games in hand. So our boys definitely have a strong push coming up behind them right now as they try to hold on to that top spot in the Western Conference's BC Division. Like I had mentioned earlier, the Blazers are going to be taking on the Pats tonight in Regina. And you can catch that game here today on Radio NL. Now... Today is Wednesday, and I thought I would put together a segment I have not done here in a little while. It is time for That's Whack Wednesday. It's That's Whack Wednesday. If you haven't heard this one before, I basically just went about looking for some things that are a little bit outlandish or whack, if you will. So, with that in mind... Let's get the show on the road. A new report released earlier this week by the International Coffee Organization found that coffee consumption is expected to outpace production shortly. Yes, this means there could be a deficit of around 502,000 bags of coffee in the 2019-2020 production year. That's according to this International Coffee Organization's November market report. Exports of coffee fell in mid-October by 13.4% globally due to a mix of factors including unfavorable weather patterns and prolonged low international prices, which all contributed to a decline in shipments across all regions. The global fall in production was first predicted by the IC October report, but it wasn't until this past November report that came out which showed a deficit was forecasted. It's unclear exactly how soon this could happen and just how much it could affect coffee prices. The November report, which also said that the global average value of coffee had hit a 12-month high, described the coming deficit as small. So I guess that's a positive if you're like me and you need your coffee in the morning and you can't do any work without it. Well, I guess we're... Uh, we got to start paying attention to how much we consume because we don't want to outpace the production of coffee because I need my coffee, and if we're drinking more than we can produce, that means there's no coffee left. And if that were the case, I would have to say that would be pretty. I don't like this news, so I guess it's a good time to start stocking up on coffee beans and coffee grounds. So there's a good holiday gift for someone. Get them some coffee because who knows how many more cans we're going to be able to bring home. Let's move on to the issue of texting. Some people have called texting the new drunk driving. Um, what? That's an incredibly whack statement. However, I do agree with this new data, which takes that statement back uh, a little bit. You know, new research does suggest that texting while walking can be dangerous in the sense that uh, it looked at head and neck injuries that occur due to cell phone use over a 20-year period. So this study, it looked at emergency department visits between January of 1998 and December of 2017. So 20 years worth of data. That's a pretty good sample size. During the study period, it found that 2,501 people between the ages of 13 and 29 that presented at emergency departments with head and neck injuries were related to cell phone use. So based on these data, the researchers estimated a national total of 76,043 people with similar injuries. Of course, this is uh, an American study. So, people, let's keep your head up while walking because you don't want to get hit by a car or run into any poles because that, uh, that's not a good story. But also, 
to help out that spine. Yes, you don't want to be having a sore neck. And then when people ask, hey, what's wrong? And you have to say, well, I was looking at my phone too long and now my neck hurts. Well, that, uh, that would be pretty whack, wouldn't it? Whack! Let's go back to the area of food here for a second. I mean, we're running out of coffee, but... Can we also be running out of food? Well, according to researchers, the global demand for food could rise by almost 80% by the year 2100 due to an increase in the size of both the human body and the human population. According to the study, should current uh, body mass index and height levels remain the same, the global calorie requirement would still increase by 61% by the year 2100 due to population growth. Factoring into this scenario, the two researchers that did this study found that 18% could be added on top just to bring that total to 79%. We'll round it up. 80%. That number of calories that, uh, that we're going to be increasing to consume as a human race... That's a lot of calories. That's pretty... Now, they say the differences would be exaggerated between the rich and poor, as nutritional food prices would hike up from increased demand. This would lead to increased consumption of cheaper, often rich in calorie food, but poor in nutrients. So as a result, body weight among the poor would continue to rise alongside malnutrition and poor health outcomes. That, my friends, is pretty whack. And I just wanted to uh, end things off here on a completely unrelated note to anything I've been talking about. Uh, I don't know if there are any hip-hop fans out there listening, but uh, just in case, this was trending on Twitter yesterday, so I just wanted to bring it up. Uh, Nick Cannon, uh, that's the guy who hosts The Masked Singer and is married to Mariah Carey. Not really sure why else he's famous, but uh, he put out an awful diss track yesterday targeting Eminem. Uh, I don't know uh, if Marshall Mathers is going to be clapping back just yet, but I basically just wanted to bring it up because it, uh, it was terrible. I listened to it. It was a waste of four and a half minutes of my time, and I just wanted to say that Nick Cannon, you are... It's wicked, 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 wicked. Yeah, so I really just wanted to play that drop. This has been That's Whack Wednesday. That's Whack Wednesday with Jeff Andreas. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. I want to thank all my guests for joining me, and a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.